Hey guys, this week on the podcast, we have Rachel Henry. I was so honored to get to talk to her. I had heard her story um, a few years ago on a different podcast and I was so deeply impacted by it that I was so excited to actually get to talk to her. She is so sweet and so lovely. If we lived in the same town, I really feel like we would be friends. I really, really, really enjoyed my time talking to her. But listen, I want to give a trigger warning for this episode um, for the listeners. Rachel does detail in this episode and talk about um, a night when she was sexually assaulted in her home. It's not graphic, right? She doesn't give, you know, graphic details. But if you are someone that has suffered sexual trauma in your past, I do just want you to be aware of that, that that is what the topic of this episode is. Um, again, she doesn't get into graphic details. And we're basically done talking about the actual act of it by about... 15 or 16 minutes in. And the rest of it is really just about her healing afterwards, um, her journey to forgiveness, things she did in therapy, really interesting. Um, she really details EMDR. Um, she talks about self-defense classes, like things like that. Um, so I don't want you to think that the focus of the episode is all about um, the trauma that happened. It's mostly about the healing afterward. But I do just want you to know that you probably shouldn't have this, you know, playing in your car with little kids. Or like I said, if you've suffered sexual trauma, um, just be aware that this is, that's the topic of this episode. And I just, you know, want you to know what you're getting into as you listen, but listen, I left my conversation with her feeling deeply encouraged. Rachel is so, she's such a bright light and she had so many beautiful, beautiful, wonderful things to say about her journey afterward that I genuinely left the conversation feeling a sense of encouragement. And I really hope that you will too. So stay tuned. Hey, Rachel, welcome to this episode of So What Else? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here with you. Thank you so much for doing this. You are a busy mom. You have six kids. Am I, I right? Do. Yes. <laughs> so this is huge. Like the fact that you took out time of your day to talk to me oh, when you have six thank kids. You. Yeah, this is the first year that they have all six been away at a school for the day. So it's a new season of life for us. I'm working part-time, sometimes full-time depending on the week. And so this is just a different pace where I'm not home very much as like I used to be all the time. Cause you were homeschooling for a while. Is that right? I did. Yeah. For four years. Um, wow. my oldest four, I homeschooled. And so this is just a new thing and everyone's in a great season. We're loving it. So, so you homeschooled four kids at the same time. Yes. I can't even imagine having four kids, let alone oh, homeschooling man. four kids. Well, yeah, you have to grow into it or just survive, you know? Oh my gosh. Like but. we have two, we have two kids mm -hmm. and there are so many days where I'm like, I feel like we have 35 kids. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I, I can't even imagine that. people that really have a lot of kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you just get used to it. And then, you know, it doesn't feel like so many anymore. You, you know, you adjust. Well, how old? So what's your age spread with your kids? Yeah. My oldest is a boy. He's 13. I think he's 20. I'm sure. Um, and then I actually do have twins. So they're 11. Oh. I have a, ooh, she's not six anymore. I have a nine-year-old daughter, oh. a six-year-old son, and the youngest is four. She's in pre-K this year. Wow. All right. So you have a preschooler, preschooler mm -hmm. all the way up to a teenager. Yep. That's a lot. Yes. <laughs> so you said but, you've been working. So what are you doing for work right now? Um, I teach preschool two mornings a week. 
And then I also am teaching an eighth grade design and technology class at their school. And then on my off days, I am on the substitute list. So I may or may not be subbing two days a week also. So you are with children all the time. I am, right? You think, what's your problem? You finally get a break and then you're still going to be with kids all the time. Oh my goodness. Okay. I have a teaching background as well. This is actually my first year that I'm not teaching. Oh, wow. Because I, so I taught full-time before I had kids. And then once I had kids, I switched to part-time and I was doing it two days a week. And this is my first year that I'm not teaching at all, but I loved it. Like it didn't, So for me, when I was still teaching, when I had kids, my kids were babies and the Mm -hmm. kids I was teaching were more like middle schoolers. So it didn't feel like too much of an overlap, Mm -hmm. you know, but I did have moments where I thought to myself, like if I had kids of my own that were this age as my (laughs) students, like, I think that would annoy me. Like, I think I like if I was dealing with like the same problems during the day as at home, I would be like, I can't do this. I think it's been interesting being, especially because it's at their school, it's a small Christian school. And so getting to see the people that they're around has actually been really insightful and maybe a little eye-opening because I hadn't been around middle schoolers since I was a middle schooler and, you know, it's different and it's a little bit terrifying. (laughs) So I'm thankful for the chance to get to see like, okay, this is how kids are acting when they're not with their families. And it's, it's giving me some good um, basis for prayer. (laughs) Yes. It really is so true. Honestly, like, so this year, like I'm far behind you in the parenting field. So like, this was my first year. So my older daughter just turned five and then my younger one is almost three. So five and three, but my five-year-old, they are cute. You know, (laughs) every stage has its things, right? Yes, exactly. This is her first year going off to preschool. And so I, I really felt nervous about just like, I don't know how she acts when I'm not around. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that was the huge thing I kept saying to my husband was like, I just wonder how she acts when she's in there. Like, I just wonder, you know, and different people. Yeah. It's like, I have her conference coming up next week and I'm like anxious about it. Not that I think the teacher is going to be like, oh, your kid's like the devil or something, but I just Mm -hmm. wonder what she's going to say. Like, I, I hope she's nice to the other kids. Like, I hope that she includes everybody and that she shares, but like, yeah. I'm not 100% sure how she acts when I'm not there. Let it go a little bit at a time. (laughs) It's nuts. Uh, It's crazy. So where, what state are you in right now? Uh, We live in Pennsylvania. We've lived in multiple states over the last couple of years. Um, We actually just moved here this summer from Maryland, but it was only about a 30 minute drive and we still do life in all the same places. Um, It was just like a change of our housing. Um, before that, we actually lived in Alabama for Alabama for four months. We thought we were going to settle there, but that's all when COVID happened. And we Mm. just thought we probably don't want to be here long-term. We'd rather be by family. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, we actually traveled the country in a camper for eight months full-time and like had sold most of our stuff. We didn't have a house or a rental anywhere. We were just on the road with us and our kids. And it was my favorite time of life. (laughs) So you had all six kids in Mm -hmm. a camper for eight months. Yes. I, you are like my hero. (laughs) I would, I would go back and do it again. It was so freeing. So just like, you know, you're on your own schedule. There's nothing to do except just see the world and raise your kids. So it was pretty cool. That's really cool. I mean, for your kids to have had that experience. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, that's life-changing for them. I'm sure they talk about it at school. Like, yeah, that's incredible. They, do. they appreciate it now. In the midst of it, I kept telling them, guys, you're going to appreciate this someday because we would be like, okay, we're going to go hiking again. Like, we're going to go hike the Grand Canyon. And they'd be like, oh, we have to go hiking again. You know, they just like hate it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but now they're super glad. Oh, that's really, really cool. Do you guys think you would do that again? Uh, my husband and I definitely would. We don't know if we would do it with all six skin because that's just yeah. a lot of people. Um, I know my younger two were only what, like one in three when we went. So I'm yes. like, maybe we'll do it again when they're in their teenage years and it would be a totally different trip. Totally. Um, I just want to give them the chance that they don't really remember. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. So Pennsylvania, so you're not too far from me. I'm in New Jersey. Okay. Um, but I knew you were somewhere around the East coast cause your time zone was the same as mine. Cause yeah. now I'm dealing with that at the beginning. You know, when I first started this podcast a year ago, I was just like interviewing my friends. So it was okay. like everybody around here, you know what I mean? Like we're all in mm-hmm. the same time zone. And now that I've, you know, branched out and I'm interviewing people from other places, that's always something I have to remember. Like I'm like, exactly. oh, seven o'clock on Tuesday. Oh wait. And then I'm like, where does this person live? And I'm like calculating time changes and I'm constantly like Googling it. And yes. so I knew we were in the same time zone. So I was like, okay, she's somewhere on the East coast. So yep. where did you grow up? Oh, all over. My dad was a pastor. We moved about every five years. So, um, like spent some time in California, Colorado, mm. and then actually here, uh, where I live now is where my husband and I met and we were high school sweethearts. Yes. I grew up as a pastor's kid too. So I, I feel that, but that's amazing. All right. So high school sweethearts. So did you guys get married like right out of high school or did you go to college? We went to college in Indiana, Indiana Wesleyan university. Oh yeah. And, um, spent actually a long time there afterwards. He ended up working at the college. So we just started our lives there and got really connected with other families. And so had all but our last child in Indiana. Ah, that's, I spent a weekend at Indiana Wesleyan University. I was dating a guy from there (laughs) who I did not marry, but it's a very nice college. It is really nice. Yeah. It's, but man, I look at the price now, you know, it's like college. Oh, it's insane. Super expensive. So don't know if we'll be sending any of our children to college at this rate. Oh my gosh. My husband and I talk about that all the time. We're like, something has to happen here. Cause like, this is like, it's crazy. Yeah. Especially cause so many people graduate and don't do anything with the degree that they got. <laughs> Me too. Right? Like, I, yeah, like teaching I had degree. a kid while I was still in college. Just right. kind of, eh. Totally. I did a little, little bit on the side, but yeah. never enough to really make back, you know, what you spend to get the degree. So. Oh, never. Ugh, <laughs> life is weird. It's like, so before we started recording, I told you that I heard your story years ago on a different podcast mm-hmm. and it stayed with me for years. Like I always mm-hmm. remembered your name. I always remembered your story. I was really blown away, like by what you'd been through and your faith. Um, So I was so honored when you agreed to come on and share your story with us. So I'm just going to kind of like pass it off to you. I would love for you to just share with us. Your life changed Mm -hmm. drastically um, in the summer of 2014. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell us just kind of about what happened to you on that night in July? Yeah. I mean, and just to set the scene, we did still live uh, near the college there. My husband worked for the college Mm -hmm. and he was getting his doctorate. We had four children at the time, ages six, four, four, and two. Mm -hmm. And um, we had been living there um, in a smaller house. Housing is crazy cheap in Indiana. If anyone Mm -hmm. wants to find the cheapest place to live. (laughs) Um, So we had bought like a super tiny house and we were just trying to fix it up a little bit. 
And it was close to the college, but also kind of bordered some of the the parts of the town that, um, I don't know, it just, it was a small town, but mm-hmm. it definitely had some inner city feelings as far as like gang activity. And okay. um, so don't picture like cute small town. I mean, you know, right. picture like, I don't know, run downtown. Yeah. So, um, I mean, and that's, I'm glad the college is there, you know, they they want to definitely bring life to that and restore things that have been broken. But, um, mm-hmm. so my husband was staying on the college campus for a week and the second night he was gone, I had stayed up late and done some sewing. I had all my kids in bed. I had one daughter that had wanted to sleep with me that night. So she was in my bed and, uh, went to bed like normal and around two in the morning woke up hearing some chimes by the back door that I had hung there. And just thinking, why is Simon coming in mm. in the middle of the night? And so, um, you know, normally I think I would have nudged him to be like, I hear something, you know, go see right. what it is. But being the only adult there, just immediately got up out of my bed and walked back through my living room to my kitchen where I was faced with three men with their hoods up and it was dark. I couldn't really see them and or tell, you know, their ages or anything. And, just, you know, what do you want? And they, they were firm, but they weren't like angry or violent. And they were just like, give us all of your money. And I literally that week had taken even all of my change jars to the bank because we had overdrawn an account and I was mm. like, I need all the money I can get. Um, so I literally didn't have anything to give them. I was like, I don't have anything, you know, like, I don't, I don't know what else you want. You can, my purse is back there. And um, so I don't know what exactly transpired, but like, where's your husband? I said, Mm. he's not home tonight. And they said, we want to go and search through your house. Um, And I don't know what it was in my mind at that moment that, that necessarily allowed this to happen, but they, they reassured me that they didn't want anything except just to look for stuff. And I said, my kids are up there sleeping. And they said, we don't, we're not going to bother your kids. And Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, that was like, okay. Like, I didn't know what else to do, but to trust that they were telling me the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so while two of them went to search the house, the other one took me by the elbow and led me back to the back door where they had come in and, um, just said, take off your clothes. <laughs> and I think I was completely shocked because I I was never expected to find myself in the situation in my own home. Yeah. And so I just stood there and I didn't respond. And, and like, he tugged at my shorts. He said, take off your clothes. And so I just <laughs> thought, I don't, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. Um, I had never had any self-defense classes or like knowing the right thing to try to stop it in that moment. And so I did what he said and he took me into the bathroom and, um, you know, from there he proceeded to rape me and the other two came back and they got to the door and they actually started to laugh. Um, and they were just so berating just like with their attitude. And then they were like, let's go to a different room. Um, so we walked through the house and I started praying out loud, just Mm -hmm. like, Jesus, will you protect my kids? Will you please help them to stop? I don't know what to do. Like, Jesus, will you please help them, um, to feel convicted? Like I was just praying anything Mm -hmm. I could, but mostly for my kids, like Mm -hmm. Jesus, please help them to stay asleep. Um, they took me to a small office room next to my bedroom and they just had more space there, I guess. And, 
um, proceeded all three of them to rate me. And then they asked for another room and they were like, we need a place with a bed. And so, um, took them to another room in the house and, uh, it continued there. So, um, I guess they got to the point that they were satisfied and Mm. they wanted to look through the house more for, you know, computers and phones. They did find my phone and they were like, why did you lie to us about your phone? And I was like, well, because they had asked me if I had one Uh. and I had said no. Um, So they had found that and I was just like, I just wasn't holding it. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. you don't want to make them mad at you because I didn't know what they were capable of. And so I was my thought was just, if I can just give them what they want, they'll leave. Mm-hmm. And I want to be as peaceful as possible so that it doesn't become violent. Yeah. Um, at one point I was standing in that doorway and I could see across my living room to my bedroom where my daughter was sleeping and they were rummaging through drawers with the lights on right next to her as she was sleeping. And it's just like <sighs> praying so hard. God, help her to stay asleep. God, watch over her. Send your angels to protect her while she's there. And it is you know, God's blessing that none of them woke up that night. Wow. Um, you know, she never stirred. And so it's just like, thank you, Lord. So she was in, Um, so they went into the room where she was sleeping, mm -hmm. turned on the lights and were like, I'm assuming loudly rummaging through drawers. Oh yeah. I mean, the drawer was like on the floor. There was stuff all over the floor and she just slept through it. So I, I mean, that's (laughs) a miracle. It is. And it was heartbreaking for me to stand there and see across the room and just, you know, it's like, oh, I can't imagine it. Going another way, you know, but um, absolutely. I know at one point I was in that room and they had shut the door and I had open windows in that room. And I thought I could so easily just get out and run. Like I mm. could go. I can't imagine what it would be like showing up somewhere naked. <laughs> that would be horrifying in and of itself. Right. But I just thought I can't leave. Like they're here with my children. Yeah. Um, yeah. As much as I want to go, I can't. So they came back. Um, I was, I tried to be conversational with them as much as I could to kind of, I mean, I don't know if I thought this at the time, but trying to make them realize that I was a person mm-hmm. and, and that I saw them as people and like asking them questions like, why are you doing this? How old are you? Um, just, and they never really gave straight answers. And at one point they even started trying to say, why don't you come run away with us? Oh. And I'm like, like, I just don't know what their frame of mind was. Um, so they asked when my husband would be back. And I said, tomorrow, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, cause I knew he was just right down the street. Um, so I don't know if, if they would have planned for more or not, but, um, right. so they told me to bathe. Um, and so I was able to do that. I came out in a towel and then they were in my kitchen and they decided they were ready to go. And so, um, they came went back to that back door and they asked me to come shut it behind them. And on their way out, they turned back and said, have a blessed night. And then they walked away. (sighs) So that's the the, the summary of that night. The bathing thing, was that Mm -hmm. their way of being like, if she goes like to the hospital and gets like an exam or like, yeah, that's all I can imagine that it was. I wouldn't have known that. Yeah, to do that, but you, it shows just you know their immaturity is that they had me take a bath and not a shower. So even anything that was washed off was still on me. And yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. And I, when I went through the um, the rape kit at the hospital, they found plenty of DNA still oh, on wow. me, even though I actually did shower again after okay. they left. Um, there was still plenty wow. of DNA. So makes me question my showering techniques. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
um, okay. So they left and said, have a blessed night, which mm. is creepy. I mean, horrifying. Yeah. So they leave and you're in your house with your kids. Mm-hmm. And did they, they took your phone, I'm assuming. They took my phone. They took uh, two laptops that we had. Um, and that was really the only means of communication I would have had. Like we didn't have a landline. Um, yeah. I don't know if back then we, I don't even know if we had a smart TV in 2014, you know, like I was, right. I was laying there thinking like, or sitting, you know, like, what do I have? Do I have any way to contact the outside world? And I could not think of any. So I, I contemplated if I should go to a neighbor and, mm-hmm. you know, ask them to call the police. And in the end, just thought whether I call now or in the morning, it's probably going to be the same, the same story. And so I'd rather stay here in case my kids wake up and be there for them. And uh, so I waited until the morning. Honestly, like I can't even fathom handling it a different way. You know, like obviously like I have, no one knows how they would react. Mm -hmm. Right. But when I think through like the situation that you were in, like how you said you were trying to be like peaceful with them and not make them mad. That's mm-hmm. exactly where my, my mind would have gone. Mm-hmm. Right. Is like, okay, like just try not to make them mad, like do whatever, because you're trying to protect your kids. Yeah. And like you said, like at one point you felt like, Oh, I could run, but if you run, then you're leaving men yeah. in the house with your kids. You're not going to do that. And then even exactly. after they leave, you you can't even run to a neighbor's house. Cause again, you're leaving your kids then in this house. What if the guys were like waiting outside for you to do that? Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) You know? So it's like, you really, I can't fathom handling it a different way to be honest, because how you're not going to leave your kids. Mm -hmm. And I guess one thing I've learned since then, I did have the chance uh, probably within the first year to take a women's self-defense class, Mm -hmm. which I highly recommend for anyone Mm -hmm. who hasn't, it was extremely empowering and just gave me information that didn't come naturally to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, like you know, even if you're approached by someone, even your body language and tone of voice can be enough to deter them. And so if I would have like, obviously there's no way for me to go back and know if this would have worked. It was three guys on one. And my instructor was very clear to say it was three on one. You probably did the right thing by not fighting them. Um, but initially, like when I met them in the kitchen, if my language would have been more forceful of get out of my house right now, you are not allowed to be here. I'm going to call the cops. That actually might have been enough that they might have just turned and walked out. Okay. You know, okay. and so, yeah. and I, my personality is more like, okay, let's be peaceful. What right. do you want? You know, and so now that I know that information, I think if, you know, God forbid it, anything ever happened again like that, I would be much more forceful in my tone of voice from the mm-hmm. beginning. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's that's just, you know, an interesting mm-hmm. tidbit if anyone's listening and, <laughs> Absolutely. and that might be useful. So yeah, that's for sure useful. Um, okay. So they leave and you decide, all right, I'm not going to like try and run and get help or something because I don't want to leave my kids. So you mm-hmm. wait until the morning. What did you do? Yeah. Um, I put clothes back on. I went around and locked, made sure my doors were locked and my windows. And we found mm. out they actually got in through a kitchen window that I had left open mm. a couple inches. Um, so I went through, I locked everything and checked on all my kids and they were all sleeping. I, I kind of tried to look around to see what might've been taken. It was hard to tell at night, but, um, obviously the computers and my phone and some of my husband's watches, um, and my son's backpack to put all of it in. So, mm. Um, I 
laid on the couch for a while, just thinking about what in the world just happened. Mm. Um, they had actually stopped several times during their time there and said, you need to swear to God that you're not going to tell anyone what we're doing or we're going to come back and get your kids. Oh. Um, and so not knowing anything about them, I, I felt like I didn't have any choice but to say, okay, I swear. Like, um, And so I, you know, that... I had said that, but I thought, of course, I'm going to tell someone. It's not right. like, like in the movies when they don't tell the cops, you're always like, why aren't you Why would the you cops? not? Yeah, totally. Um, so I knew I was going to tell my husband and the cops. I didn't know exactly what order I would do that in. It kind of unfolded itself in the morning. But um, at one point I went and laid with my daughter again and she had woken up to go to the bathroom. And then I decided to shower and just seeing the the light start to come up at the beginning of the day was the most Mm -hmm. wonderful thing to see that, okay, this night's over. Mm -hmm. I'm going to move on and we're going to, we're going to see what we can do. So, Mm -hmm. um, the children already had play dates scheduled for that morning, which, Mm -hmm. you know, looking back is God's provision, just knowing that they already had a place to go. Mm -hmm. So I told them, just like made them breakfast. I thought I want to make this as normal as I can for them and not, not create a traumatizing experience for my children when I don't have to. Um, so I made them breakfast, we gathered their toys and whatever they were taking. And then I had them sit down on the couch and I was like, guys, I have to tell you something. Um, last night while we were sleeping, there was some men that came in our house and they took my phone and they took our computers. And so we have to go tell daddy, we don't, we can't call him. So we're going to drive over there and we're going to tell him what happened. And, you know, they were real sweet about it. And they're just like, why would someone take our stuff? That's Mm. not fair. Like, why don't they just get a job? Mm. (laughs) I was like, I know, guys. Um, So we we got in the van and they had actually driven my van at some point while they were there. Two of them drove down to the local gas station and got a snack. What? And then drove back to my house. So, and it's, Uh. it's all on video, like at the exact time. So it's just, they weren't, um, you know, they were very young and immature as well. Yeah. Um, but so I like made sure to put my key into a baggie and so that I wasn't messing up fingerprints. Yeah. Um, oh, and actually just to back up a little, before the kids woke up, I actually got out some paper and wrote down like what I could remember. I thought, oh, like, smart. You know, yeah. I want to write down what I remember about their clothes, what they looked like kind of what time they were here, what I can remember. And then I actually wrote a prayer for them. Wow. And, um, you know, mostly probably praying that God would convict them Mm -hmm. and bring justice uh, just so that that wouldn't happen again to someone else. Yeah. All right. So, wow. That's incredible to me that you had the clarity of mind to be like, okay, I'm going to write down everything I remember but then also the fact that you could even bring yourself to pray for them. I mean, what was like going through your mind? Were you like, God, how could you let this happen? Like, God, where were you? Like, what mm-hmm. did you feel angry or not really? I think I felt confused um, when I was laying there on the couch during the night, you know, just, I, I don't know, almost numb, you know, mm-hmm. like I had, I didn't cry up to this point at all. And I remember thinking like, you know, you asked that question, God, where were you? And I got this clear image of me in that one room with the three guys Mm. and Jesus standing there and just weeping. Mm. 
but not necessarily stopping it, but that he cared and that he was pain, like it hurt him to see what was happening. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what I clung to was that like, I don't know why God let it happen, but I know that it grieves him Mm -hmm. when people make choices like this and Mm -hmm. that, that I have to move forward and see like, okay, I know that God can bring good from this, but at that point I didn't know what that looked like. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you prayed for them. You, you know, did that. You wrote down what you remembered. Then the kids got up, Mm -hmm. all that. So then you decided to drive to your husband. Yep. So we drove over, you know, less than a mile away to my husband and Mm -hmm. he walked out into the hall once he saw us through the window and I was, you know, planning to be a little more discreet in what Mm -hmm. I told him. I wasn't sure what I was going to say. And as soon as he's in the hallway, the kids just yell, daddy, we were robbed. (laughs) I was like, okay. like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Um, but he just was like, oh yeah. He's like, what did they, they take, take something from the yard. And he's just like, wow, how that's weird. And yeah. They're like, no, they took mom's phone and the computers. And he's like, oh, what do you mean they? Mm. Well, there was three of them. Well, how do you know? Mom talked to them, you know? So he's getting all of this from them. I'm just standing off to the side. And um, so as he's putting this together, he just like walks away from them and we go a little bit away and he just asks, he's like, what happened? And I was raised very conservatively and lying is like a big no-no. And so Mm -hmm. I actually had a hard time telling him because I had sworn to God that I was not going to tell anyone. Like that was a little bit of a hangup for me, even though I knew I was, it was just like, but it felt weird. It was hard. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I said, well, ask me yes or no questions. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, did they hurt you? And I said, no. And he said, did they touch you? And I said, yes. And I think at that point, my demeanor changed. And I actually had to confirm this with him this morning because I couldn't remember when I had cried for the first time. And I asked him, did I cry at that moment? He's like, yeah, you did cry. So Mm. that was my first time crying. Um, So he held me and who knows what was actually going on in his head. Mm. But um, pretty immediately, he's like, we need, have you called the cops? I said, no, I haven't been able to. And so right away, he's like, I'm going to go call the cops right now and they need to meet us at the house. So things progressed from there. We drove back to the house and some, a friend met us there and picked up our kids and took them all to their places that they needed to go. And, um, that started a very long and emotional day of Mm -hmm. first of all, going to the hospital and being examined by them and then taken to the police uh, station and giving every detail that I could possibly imagine to them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, totally exhausted by the yeah. end of that day. And um, we had kind friends that said, you guys can come sleep at our house yeah, and your kids and like, just be out of that house. And mm-hmm. so we stopped by our old house or that, or, you know, the house that happened in and packed bags for, us and the kids. And we actually had the thought, like, we don't know how long we're going to be gone. And so like we packed enough for, you know, a substantial amount of time and left. And I never slept in that house again. I I can understand why. Um, To backtrack a little bit. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you told the police every single detail, was your husband in the room when you were? Okay. Nope. At what point did you tell him everything? 
Um, it was probably, I mean, it definitely within the first week. I don't know if it would have been three or five days, but I started feeling like, I don't know what he thinks happened, like to what extreme. And I don't want him to be imagining that it was this one thing when it was actually this or imagining that it's not very bad, but it's worse. Like I said, I just want you to know exactly what happened so that we're on the same page. And so just kind of walked him through the same things that I had shared with the police. And, um, I think it, I mean, it was probably similar to what he had expected. Mm -hmm. I don't think anything was too shocking for him, but it obviously was important for us to be able to share those details of course. So that we're on the same page. Yeah. What was that like even just interacting with him like that first mm-hmm. week? I mean, I, that's traumatizing, obviously, yeah. what you went through. Yeah. And he's obviously going through, you know, trauma of his own. Of course. Having this happen to his family. Um, but he was extremely gracious. Um, he he didn't touch me without asking first because mm-hmm. he didn't know how I would respond to that. And just so courteous. I mean, basically like if you could write or picture a dream husband, he was Mm -hmm. that for that first week, you know, it's just like so accommodating and caring and anything Mm -hmm. I needed. And it actually surprised me that I was like, I think, you know, within two weeks, I felt myself actually desiring him Mm -hmm. and wanting to be intimate with him because Mm -hmm. he was treating me so lovingly. Um, So that surprised me. But um, so our relationship stayed very close and strong. Mm -hmm. And um, we obviously had a lot of people around us supporting Mm -hmm. us and helping us with the kids. So it was a very tender, but good Mm -hmm. couple of first weeks together. Yeah. Okay. So you said that you never slept in that house again. Can you kind of tell Mm -hmm. us the story of what happened? Did you guys just immediately put it up for sale? Mm -hmm. Like what did you decide? Yeah. Um, we did, we ended up staying with that family that hosted us for probably a week. They let our, both of sets of our parents actually come and stay also. They were just so kind. And he was actually a psychologist. And so he was amazing. So supportive. And I was good friends with his wife already. And Mm -hmm. so it was the perfect place to be. Um, from there, we had a family offer us a, to stay in their RV at a local um, camp, like, you know, like a church camp that was Mm -hmm. happening. And so our kids could go to all their events and it was just really nice to be able to have that time there. Um, that actually might've been a little bit later. I'm forgetting. We, I think we actually left first. We went to Michigan for oh, a couple wow. days. Someone said, go use our lake house. No one's there right now. Mm. We went to Maryland and visited Simon's family mm. and stayed with them for a week. And, you know, it was just good for family to be able to see us and be like, okay, you're all right. We heard mm-hmm. something terrible happened. Um, and then we went back and stayed at their RV. Mm-hmm. The reason I remembered that is because during that time we started looking for another house. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason we were able to look for another house is probably within three days, we had some friends contact us and say like, we know you guys probably don't want to go back to your house. Um, we are willing to buy it for whatever you have in it and resell it for you just wow. so that you can be free of it and look for what you want. And we're like that, you know, such a blessing. Thank yeah. you so much. And then, um, might've even been the same day. Some other friends came over to visit with us and he said, we got an anonymous call today that someone actually wants to buy you a house. 
Uh, like any house you want, you know? And we're just like <sighs> in shock. We said, this doesn't happen. Why would anyone yeah. do this for us? Um, it was, you know, amazing. That's beautiful. And such a yeah. blessing. And we found ourselves looking at each other and thinking, how can we be feeling like we're at our absolute worst, but we still feel this overwhelming joy mm-hmm. of these people coming around us and loving us. And yeah. like, we feel s- these two opposing feelings at the same time. Yeah. Um, so that's why we were able to then look for a house. And within a month, we were in a new house. Wow. And um, to this day, do you know who it was that bought you the house? We do know (laughs) just through kind of like putting some things together and, and figuring out like who would have the capacity to do that sort of thing. Um, so, and we have definitely made our thanks known and, um, you know, what a blessing that was. And, and so, but I mean, not to, obviously that gets a lot of attention, but even the little things people did that I don't want to go unnoticed, um, like when we moved Simon's whole office and people from his work, came and actually packed our entire house and moved it for us, oh. which is, I was so humbled because I'm like, packing is the worst. Oh, and these horrible. people are yes. doing it for me and all, seeing everything we have, you know, mm-hmm. they just did it all. Um, people brought us meals and, you know, you're getting gifts from people. And it, it's like, even though those are just physical blessings, it really does um, mm-hmm. help you to, to know physically that you are loved and, mm-hmm. um, And those, yeah, so those things are important. So I know I, during that time was like, I don't want to forget how this feels to be in this situation and be on the receiving end. Like I want to learn from this so that when I'm out of this, Mm -hmm. I can do this for other people. And it's not even just saying, oh, how can we help you? Because usually you don't know what to say. But yeah. I don't think anyone's going to be like, no, don't give me a gift card to my favorite restaurant. Of you know, course, like, of course, it makes them feel loved. And I really think that God uses that to shower blessings. And yeah. um, so I'm, I try to be intentional to look for those mm-hmm. situations now. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, all right. So talk to me about legally, like, so like the police, like what they were looking for the guys, like what happened? Um, they found a ton of DNA all over the house. They got plenty of stuff to say, this is what we've got. Now we have to figure out who it goes to. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they ended up doing was any small crimes happening in the area that would not necessarily be like arrestable, but I don't know, like stealing a moped or like some kind right. of petty theft. They don't normally take DNA for those things, but they started taking DNA for all of those. And so they pretty quickly got matches and found three people that met the description and met the DNA. And so um, it was four or five weeks that we got the call that they had picked them up. They arrested them and they were in custody. Um, The sad thing was that they were arrested from school. They were two 15 year olds and a 17 year old, uh, which definitely changed my view of them. And if I had known that in the midst of it, you know, it might've changed my interaction with them, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, I, I didn't know if they were men. I didn't know what they were capable of and what experiences they had. And, um, unfortunately for their ages, they probably did have a lot of really bad experiences already in their lives, you know, which led them to this. Of course. Um, 
so I was saddened to know mm-hmm. their ages and maybe felt a little bit more pity just from a mother's standpoint. Like, yeah, like they're just kids and they just made this terrible choice. But I was also relieved that they were arrested because I had, because of what they had said about coming back and getting the kids, like I didn't know if they would actually follow through with that. So I actually drove around for those first four weeks, like always kind of on the lookout and going to the kids' soccer games, like always looking over my shoulder. I got my hair cut because I didn't want to be as noticeable or Mm -hmm. um, we got a different vehicle because we knew they know what our van looks like. And so um, we did those things and looking back, maybe it feels a little foolish, like, oh, but they were kids in school. They probably weren't looking for me, but I didn't know that at the time. Of course. So in that like month-ish before they were arrested, I mean, you, you said like you would look over your shoulder and stuff, but like, were Mm -hmm. you even able to sleep at night? Like how bad was your anxiety in that period? Um, probably for three weeks we were traveling. So I was good then. And then we Mm -hmm. moved into the house and I would definitely be looking out the windows. Like any window I'd walk by, I'd always be looking out the window, you know, and it wasn't even, it was in a totally different setting as far as it wasn't close to other houses or in a city feel, it was more removed and rural. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still did that. I, you know, I was like, it was natural now for just me to always be looking outside to see if anyone was there. Yeah. Um, we did get a security system and mm-hmm. that was wonderful for that yeah. time. You know, it was like, it gave that extra peace of mind. And, um, I don't know. I do remember one time, I don't know if it was in that first couple of weeks, it might've been further down, but, um, we had all gone to bed or something and we were upstairs and one of my kids needed another blanket, which was downstairs in the living room. And I remember walking down the stairs and it was completely dark in the downstairs and in the living room. And I thought, Oh, this is really dark. And it's like that feeling kind of a fear. And what I found mm-hmm. is any fear, it can be from different things, but the feeling of fear is the same. Mm-hmm. And so I felt that feeling of like, I don't know if I can go into this darkness. And I had that choice. I was like, am I going to turn on a light Mm. or should I go into the darkness and like overcome this fear? Yeah. And so even though I didn't want to walk into it, I did it anyway. And it's like that weird, creepy feeling where you like feel like something could touch you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I did it anyway. And I, I think, you know, so often we overlook the choices that we can make to actually help ourselves heal. Mm-hmm. Um, that I don't, I didn't even realize at that time that I was he- like healing myself. Right. But looking back, I'm like, that's totally psychological. And when we just give into our fears and like, oh, it's, it's dark. I'm going to turn on the light. And you do that every time. It actually just gives that fear more power over you. Mm. And, um, like looking back, I'm like, that's not, no one even told me to do that. Mm-hmm. But looking back, like little choices like that really add up over time and can add to your healing. So that's just a little story I like to tell people of like, you can overcome it even when no one's around and it's in the safety of your own home, Mm -hmm. um, that, that you can make a choice for the betterment of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Um, so I love how you touched on that. You were like, you know, I was healing myself, you know, even subconsciously kind of by Mm -hmm. doing things like that. I I would love to hear about your healing process. I know that, Mm -hmm. um, pretty soon afterwards you were able to like get in touch with another woman, mm-hmm. like who had been through like a very similar thing. Yeah. There's actually, I mean, two different stories that I'll share okay. with you. Um, 
One of them was a lady who had actually gone through something different. Her husband had died tragically and she was having just a lot of like PTSD symptoms after mm-hmm. his death where she was, you know, like weird things like rashes on her skin and feeling mm-hmm. like really hot. And, um, it was connected to her trauma of seeing her husband die. Mm-hmm. And someone had taken her to a therapist that did EMDR. And, um, mm-hmm. so that stands for eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. Mm-hmm. And it actually came about because of, uh, war veterans coming out of just super traumatic events, obviously in their travels and, um, realizing that our brains don't know how to file traumatic events. Um, and do you want me to explain it? Yes, it no, works? for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, okay. So every day when you go through your normal life and then you go to sleep at night, we have the, the sleep cycle, the REM sleep cycle, you know, and basically what it's doing is it takes all of your memories from the day and it files them away into systems or files that make sense. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're your school life is together, your home life is together, your work life, your conversations. Like, I don't know exactly how that part works, but it basically is like, this is similar to this. So I'm going to put it there. And that's how our brain stores information. When you have a traumatic event, you go to sleep and there's nothing else in your brain that is similar to that event. And so instead of filing it, it kind of just pushes it off to the side Mm -hmm. and it continues to float around in your brain. That's why triggers happen where you smell something or feel a certain thing and your brain just, because it hasn't been filed, Mm -hmm. that memory pops back out and your brain thinks it's happening again for real. Okay. Um, So what they discovered was you can actually, like that's all happening with these neural pathways Mm -hmm. in your brain and they can actually induce your brain to make a new file. So the way that they do that is by kind of um, mimicking the REM sleep cycle. And the way that they can do that is either with alternating lights or like alternating tapping on your knees okay, and touching the left and then right side of your body back mm-hmm. and forth, back and forth while you're thinking about that event actually okay. causes your brain to fire neuro or I don't, electro, I don't even know what they're firing, but okay. fire some kind of... Um, system that creates a new file wow. and that event can now be filed away. So you still remember it just like I remember any other memory, but it's no longer a free floating memory of my brain. That is okay. That's so interesting. <laughs> so the woman who had seen her husband die mm-hmm. was having PTSD symptoms. She had gone and done EMDR yes. to help and her it, heal. Yes, exactly. And it worked so well for her. And she said like, I don't know if you're having any of these symptoms yet, but it was so helpful for me. I want to take you as soon as you can go. And so she actually drove me there my first time. She like paid for the first couple sessions. Wow. And just what a blessing that is. I mean, we all know how going to counseling seems to be this like, oh, I don't know who to go to, how do I afford it? And she just took all that guesswork out and drove me there. And I definitely realize um, the can't think of the right word, just how rare that is to have someone do that for you. Um, It's not the norm, you know? And so I'm aware of that when I tell my story, there is so many things that I feel like happened that are not the norm, Yeah, but that they all helped in my healing. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I almost feel guilty. Like, why was I 
in this already right environment where we knew psychologists, we knew people that could took us, that took us to the right spot. We were in this great mm-hmm. community with our church and our small group, and they all just came around and loved us. And it's like all these factors, if even one of those was missing, yeah, I don't know how my healing journey would have been different. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely am aware of that, that many women that go through something don't have all or maybe even any of those systems in place and how challenging the healing journey would be. Mm -hmm. Um, But hopefully by hearing different women's stories, like they can um, take the steps needed to at least start the process into some or multiple of those ways. Yes. Like, I just think that that's so beautiful. Like the fact that this woman was like, this EMDR thing, like she could have called you and just said, Hey, um, I did this thing called EMDR. You should think about it. Yes. Exactly. And then it would have been on you yeah. to find someone who does it, figure out when you're going to go pay for it. Like that's almost putting work on you, exactly. right? If she had called you and just said like, you should do EMDR. That's like giving you a task. The mm-hmm. fact that she was like, I think you should do this. So here's what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to call my person that I went to. I'm going to make you an appointment. I'm yes. going to pick you up. I'm going to drive you there. I'm going to pay for it. Like, what a beautiful example of just like being there for someone. I just did an 100%. interview um, with Rochelle Miller. She was sharing about how um, she lost her son in childbirth. And afterwards, she had a friend who was like, there who was visiting and the hospital called with like a billing question or whatever. And she was like, I'm going to handle that call for you. And Mm -hmm. she was like, that was so incredible because like, that's what I needed. Like I Mm -hmm. couldn't sit there and like have a conversation and like fight with insurance and whatever. And like my, she handled it for me. And that Mm -hmm. was such a beautiful way for her to care for me in that time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's like what your friend did. I mean, that's so beautiful that she's like this I really think that this thing is going to work for you. So I'm going to take you there and make it happen Mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. And I think it's hard when we see other people going through something. Like I I know for me, I kind of feel like I either have to be there to hold their hand through the whole thing Mm -hmm. or just stay out of it. Mm -hmm. And when I look at my story, like it wasn't, there wasn't many people that were a part of every part of my healing. It was like each person played a tiny role for the most part, Mm -hmm. but it, it created this whole package of like carrying me through. And so that's what I have to remind myself of. Like when I do one little thing for someone, it might feel super insignificant, but it's a network of people doing that, that really carries people along. I love that. That's amazing. Um, tell us about the other woman. You said there was another woman that you also, you know, Yeah. um, And this one was right before we moved into our house, we just stayed a couple days at a house local to ours. And, um, there was caretakers at this property and it was their son and daughter-in-law that only come probably once a year to visit. And they happened to get there the same day that we got there. And they were just like, you really need to sit down and talk with them. Like you guys have really similar stories. And I was like, I don't even know who these people are, Mm -hmm. but okay. And, um, ended up getting together with her. And it turns out that she had gone through an extremely similar situation. I think at that time it was like seven years before. And, um, so I was able to hear her story and Mm -hmm. then able to share mine with her. And just like the understanding that we had with each other was different than anyone I had met to that point. Mm -hmm. And, and even still to this day, like, I don't know if I've met someone that understands quite like she did. And so 
having her and her husband there and like, especially for my husband, Simon, to be able right. to talk to him and be like, you know, this is, how did you guys deal with it? And so it was just so encouraging. You know, it's like you hear someone who's ahead of you in the journey and just for them to say like what you're feeling now and you feel like your whole life revolves around this incident, mm-hmm. like that will pass and you'll be able to see the rest of your life again. <laughs> you know, it's not just yeah. always going to be about this. And so um, it ended up, she ended up being uh, just such a great encouragement to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think if it was... A year later, when we went to trial with all of this, like she was the one person I wanted in the courtroom. And it happened to be the same week that they were visiting that summer. And she was there and I was like, you're the one I want to have in there because when I'm on the stand, like I'm not, you're not going to be shocked to hear the details that I have to share. And I wouldn't really want my mom or dad to have to sit and listen to that, but I want you there. And so yeah. And it was just great how that worked out. That's beautiful. And I think that's why it's so important for people to share their stories, you know, mm-hmm. because like that, the fact that you were able to connect with this woman, you know, with that you both had such a unique thing that bonded you and mm-hmm. how amazing for you to be able to feel like there was someone who understood you. Yes, definitely. You know, because that would be so, so lonely, you know, mm-hmm. to go through something and feel like I, there's no one that I can find that understands yeah. You know? And I don't even know if I would have thought to look for that. Like I didn't right. realize that was a need that I had and God just plopped her right there into the same little farm that I was on. And so I'm just so, you know, again, another aspect of the story that, that just showed up when I didn't know what I needed. Yeah. That's beautiful. So you mentioned the trial. Can you talk mm-hmm. to me about that? Like how long after was that? Like what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a very long process if anyone's mm-hmm. gone through any court and judicial things. Um, one reason it took so long was because they were all close enough to 16 and one of them was already over 16 that they were trying to get tried as minors. Okay. But because of the crime, it was scheduled that they were all being tried as adults. So okay. it took a long time just to go through the process of, can we get it tried as minors? And in the end they said no. Okay. Um, and so once they got that situated, they, um, they had to try them all separately. And one of them went through a full juried case. So that was a whole year after. Wow. Um, and so, I mean, by that point I had already had a lot of healing. I'd already done the EMDR and been able to just talk to so many people just on a personal level about what I had gone through. So I felt like I had a lot of healing, but strangely enough, the trial process in itself was another huge step of healing. Yeah, um, You know, it's like just having to go back through all those details and read it and be like, wow, I didn't remember saying this. And mm. I didn't realize it was quite that bad. I had kind of like blocked that part out. Um, so it's, it was kind of just reopening of all of those things and having to face them. But really, I think the most um, traumatic part for me was going and attending the final arguments on the last day of the case. And the defending um, lawyer was just making his case all about how I had kind of invited them into my home or been um, compliant in their behaviors. And so that the you know, all the blame shouldn't be put on them. Wow. And uh, so it was just so hard for me to sit there and listen to him rip apart my character and 
say things that were obviously not true. And so I was, yeah. I mean, that was probably the most angry I've ever been in my life. I can't even imagine. And um, I was almost like, it was like, I was more angry at him than I was at these three guys. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how, but um, I just couldn't believe that someone who hadn't done an act like that would try to defend an act like that. Right. Like right. it was just so baffling for me. And I, so it's like, I grouped him in with those men, like, of course, them, or just like, it's almost like he committed the crime too. Yeah. Um, and so that, I remember just being emotionally exhausted after I'm that day, sure. I just went home and was like, Hey, okay. Like that was hard. Um, taking the stand was, was good. Um, it was strange. Like going to that case was the first time I saw any of them in the daylight mm-hmm. and like actually got to see what they look like. Um, that was strange and felt vulnerable. Um, mm-hmm. and at that point I didn't get to say anything to him or anything like that. Um, the other two ended up pleading guilty. Um, they all ended up getting the same sentencings, uh, which was 40 years in prison. Wow. Um, and so that's a long time. I think mm-hmm. at the time I just felt like, I don't know what's appropriate for their discipline. And so I'm just going to kind of surrender that decision to the courts. Mm-hmm. Um, I obviously didn't ask for more time. I didn't know what was protocol mm-hmm. for that. And I don't, I mean, this what has this been? Seven years. Mm-hmm. I just found myself thinking the other day, like, what would have Jesus done? Like, what if Jesus actually asked them for less time? You know, mm-hmm. like, what if he'd been like, no, I don't think that they should spend the rest of their life in jail. And so like a little bit of me is, is hesitating recently. Like I almost regretting, like, did I miss a chance Mm. to really be like the light of Jesus to those families and to those guys? Um, instead of just saying, oh, whatever the court decides, like, should have I taken it a step further and asked for more mercy? Mm. Um, and I don't know if I can do anything about that now, but I just, I'm thinking about them recently, like they're, it's been seven years and they still have over 30 years to sit there. I mean, not mm-hmm. to sit, but like, you know, they're stuck yeah. there in jail and like, what, that's such a miserable life. And I hope that they would not repeat what they did, but mm-hmm. I'm just praying that God will bring the right people into their lives, even in prison Absolutely. that can be, be his light to them there. And, um, I guess I'll never know in this. Maybe I'll find out about them and write to them. <laughs> mm. but. I mean, that says so much about your heart. Like I'm in awe of you even saying that. Like, should I have asked for the courts to like have mercy on them? Like I can't even imagine thinking that. <laughs> I mean, that says a lot about your heart. Um, you, you're an amazing person. Do you feel like you've forgiven them? Yeah, I do. And, um, I mean, obviously I feel like that's come out kind of in what I've said, just like, Mm -hmm. I feel like, I don't, I think throughout, I don't know if it was through podcasts or maybe just radio shows before podcasts were a thing, Mm -hmm. but I remember like a few times in my life hearing stories of something that had happened to people, something really tragic. Um, maybe a child was murdered or something and those people had chosen to forgive Mm -hmm. almost from the moment that it happened. It was like, they never let the anger and bitterness set in. Mm -hmm. And I think I just remember thinking like, if anything like that would ever happen to me, I hope that I would respond that way because Mm -hmm. you hear in their testimony, the blessing that that brings from God and just like the healing that that brings because they're not hanging on to this anger and resentment. And I want to get back at you. Um, 
And so I think from the get-go, I wanted to forgive them. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew that if they were to die and they had chosen to ask God to forgive them before they did, like, and believed in Jesus, I was like, I know that God would forgive them. Mm-hmm. So if God's willing to forgive them, to let them into heaven, like, I probably should be willing to forgive them. Mm. And scripture is super clear that if I would choose not to forgive them, that God then could choose not to forgive me. And it's like, do I want to live with that? Mm -hmm. It's like, no, I don't. Like I have to decide that I'm going to forgive them um, or it's just going to be worse for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's almost, you know, it's like sometimes following what Jesus said, it's like, it's thinking about others first. But Mm -hmm. it also sometimes feels a little bit selfish because we know that when we do what he said, it's actually better for us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I understand. So it's like it's selfless and selfish Mm -hmm. at the same time. But it's um, so I knew I was like, I have to choose to forgive them. Mm -hmm. I also, though, just want to bring light to the fact that like these guys were not a part of my life prior to this and they Mm -hmm. haven't been a part of it after. And so forgiving them wasn't like I had to forgive someone I had a relationship with. Right. It wasn't like I was seeing them on an ongoing basis where I had to keep choosing every day, like, okay, I'm going to love you today. I'm going to forgive you. Um, so if you can say it made it easier, like it did. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also all the things I already said about like there was healing and God brought allowed good blessings to come into our life. And I feel like so much good happened that I was like, what kind of person would I be if I got all these good things and still chose to be angry? Like, Mm. I feel so blessed and so thankful right now. Like, Mm. I'm going to forgive them and move on. And, um, and I don't want to just ignore the fact that that's not true for so many people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a lot of times you're going to know somebody who did something unforgivable, if you can say it that way, like to you. And making that choice is going to be a lot different than maybe the choice I had to make. So I don't want to just ignore the fact that some women have definitely a harder task ahead of them in the forgiveness road. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's going to take a lot of God's grace uh, to help you get to that point. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's really incredible. I just... your heart is, is really incredible to me because that's just amazing how you even just said, I know that, you know, some women have a harder road than me. I I can assure you that probably everyone listening to this right now is thinking (laughs) that like your story is like the worst thing they could imagine happening. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? But that's really beautiful that you even would acknowledge like, Hey, there's people that have possibly a harder road, you know, whatever. I think that that's- There 100% is because I've heard their stories and it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It really is. Mm. Um, We touched on this a little before, but I would love to talk a little bit about your husband. You know, Mm. you had said that um, in the weeks, like directly after he was so amazing, he asked permission before he touched you, you know, Mm -hmm. anything like that. And, And you said that you felt so loved and cared for by him that it helped you. Um, what was, and obviously I don't want to be too, like, I don't want to poke, like poke and prod too much here, but I'm curious about like intimacy with your husband afterwards. Mm -hmm. I'm imagining that was very hard. Yeah, it was definitely different. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I always try to make sure that I say whenever I'm 
being able to tell the story that the one counselor I went to was very clear to tell me because I, I had been a virgin when I got married. Mm-hmm. I'd only ever had sex with my husband. And then suddenly, oh my goodness, now I've had sex with these three other men. Like, how do I deal with this? And she said, wait, stop. She said, what happened to you that night was not sex. Mm. She said, that was just them having this wanting to exert power over something and they use their bodies to do that, but it was not sex. Mm. And so I've had multiple women tell me just how helpful that mindset is for them to hear. And, um, because sex is such an intimate thing and it, Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be beautiful and safe and loving. And so if we think that sex is the same thing as being raped, it's not. Right, um, And so I wanted to be intimate with my husband again. I was, yeah. I felt drawn to him, but it was different. And, you know, thoughts would come into my head of just thinking back to that night. And, of course. um, and so I tried just to push those thoughts out. It didn't always work, but I usually, I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever told him when I have those thoughts. Right. Um, because I feel like that would just ruin the moment <laughs> of like for him. Yeah. Um, and so I've tried to just keep that more to myself. And usually it's just a passing thought and I try to think of something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is like certain things that they either had me do that night or that might've been okay for me before in marriage that now I don't want to do because it would be so hard for me to do that again yeah. and not think about that night. Yeah. Um, so, and he's very understanding of that and, mm-hmm. and we've worked through it. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like we didn't let that night ruin our intimacy mm-hmm. in the long run. That's beautiful. I mean, that says a lot about your relationship, obviously. Um, what was your husband's healing process like? Yeah, I actually had to call him this morning because I was like, people always want to know about you. And I feel like I have an idea, but I've never actually like asked you. And I, but I kind of always, I have asked him before, but I always forget because it's a pretty basic answer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, okay, before this happened, he would have said, if anyone ever breaks in and hurts my wife or kids, I would just want to kill them. Right. And after the fact, I think, he probably still felt that way, but he did a really good job of not showing it to me in the Mm. days following. And I think that's important because if he would have been really angry, I think I would have tried to focus on him Yeah, and be like, no, you need to forgive. Like, let's talk about that. And instead he just stayed quiet about it, which I'm super glad he did. And just like, let me heal on my own. Mm -hmm. But I found out later that he was like driving around town with a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Not that he was going to do anything with it. No, I know. It was just like that feeling like this just happened and I want to do something about it. I think Um, every husband listening to this right now is like, yup. Yeah, exactly. So thank the Lord, you know, nothing crazy happened. But um, I think again, the fact that they were found so soon Mm-hmm. And they did receive a fair amount of justice. Yes. I think that just kind of took the weight off of him of feeling like he had to do anything about it. Totally. And again, because of how life just kept moving on, like thinking about them has not been a, been a part of his normal life. Mm-hmm. And so he really never has to face the fact of what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so to say like, yes, he forgave them. I think he would say yes. Mm-hmm but it's maybe a little bit circumstantial <laughs> right? <laughs> because I it's been that. easier for him just to let it go. Mm-hmm. But 
I don't, I mean, in that whole conversation, like I never get the vibe from him that he's angry, you know, like it's not like this thing that comes up in him, like, oh, I can't believe what they did. Mm -hmm. Um, So I definitely know that God has worked in healing in his heart to Mm -hmm. not harbor anger and bitterness towards them. And Mm -hmm. um, so we've moved on from that. And Mm -hmm. I think he's really glad that he doesn't have to wonder about them because he knows where right where they are. Exactly. Do you think that like when your kids are older, you'll tell them your story? Well, yes. And in this technological age, I'm sure it's well, not right. going to be long before they're like, oh, I'm going to Google my parents. Totally. Oh, my mom's on this podcast. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I'm I know that my kids know that I've talked on podcasts before. And so I don't know when that curiosity is finally going to catch up and Mm -hmm. they'll make the effort to listen to it. Um, I'm just praying that God reserves that until a time when they're ready for it. Yeah. Um, Because I want it to be really influential in the forming of their faith and seeing, okay, now that I know the full aspect of everything that happened, knowing why our family did what it did, why, like how my parents walked that out and that it can really strengthen their foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point they think, Oh, someone robs your house. You just get a new house for free. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't, I don't know if they've ever <laughs> right. put that together. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so I'm just, like I said, praying that, that God orchestrates that time mm-hmm. when they're ready for it. And yeah, I don't know, it might be getting soon. You know, I have 11 year old daughters, they're almost 12 right. and a 13 year old son who they just, you know, they're yeah. knowing a lot about the world. So it might not be long before that conversation happens. Absolutely. For you, do you struggle to this day with wondering why God allowed this to happen mm-hmm. to you? Um, I mean, definitely the more you dig into questions like that, the more questions it leads to. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that wisdom is actually just finally admitting that you don't know what you wanted to have an answer to. <laughs> yes. Um, and that some things we're just are never going to figure out because yeah. no answer quite makes sense but Mm -hmm. we are humans and we try to like have an answer for everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do know that we do have free choice as humans. Mm -hmm. And if God stopped every person from making a bad choice, then we wouldn't be who we are, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, why he chooses to intervene sometimes and stop bad things. I can't say. Um, But I do know that in this case, he's brought so much good from it as far as like, not just in my own life. Like I can't imagine where my family would be now if this event hadn't happened. Right. You know, because it did kind of change the trajectory of our lives and what we did and where we moved. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if how it would have played out otherwise. And I'm really thankful for the things that happened after. Mm -hmm. So for me to delete this event from my life leaves me with a big question mark because I'm like, maybe it wouldn't have ended up as good. Yeah. Um, and there's no way for me to know, but I also know just beyond my own life, Mm -hmm. being able to share my story has definitely had an impact in other women that I know. And, um, there's a handful of them specifically that I know has had a direct impact in healing from their own stories and giving them hope. Mm -hmm. Um, 
We've also had a chance to send um, another young man to eat the same EMDR therapist Mm. that I went to um, from just different issues that he was having, but he ended up actually changing his entire career and got a degree in counseling and got certified in EMDR because it had such a profound impact on him. So like, I'm like those little things, that seems to me like that's just a little side note of my story, but that totally changed his life, his whole life. And that was a direct result of something that we were able to do because someone did it for us, you know? So it's like, yeah, for me to take away this event doesn't just take it away from me. It actually changes other people's lives that have now been impacted by it. Wow. So God sees all of that. Mm-hmm. you know, before it happens. And I don't, it's, it's not like I picture him up there weighing like, oh, is this much good going to come if I allow this? Be-? Like, I don't know. Right. Of <laughs> no, course, that of sounds course. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because I really still wrestle with this, but especially wrestled with it immediately following was like, this one thing happened to me on one night, mm-hmm. but there is women around the world who are being trafficked, who are mm-hmm. being held as captives, who are being made to do this type of thing multiple times on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. where's their free house? Where's their Mm. trauma therapy? Like, you know what I mean? And I'm like, for me to sit here and be like, well, God saw this good that was going to come from it. Well, like, I I can't, I don't know. That's not like everyone can give that answer. Totally. So I still wrestle with it. Um, And even though that seems to fit okay for my story, Mm -hmm. it doesn't fit for a lot of other stories. And so it just leaves me back to like, well, I don't know. Yep. I don't understand. And um, I guess we'll all have those questions someday when we get to ask God, Yeah, um, you know, and, but again, like it is a fallen world. And so mm-hmm. we know that pain and suffering are part of it. And um, I'm thankful for the healing that I've had. Mm-hmm. And I, I would hope, I guess that I can help as many other people as I can find yeah. that healing and hope along my journey. Yeah. I love what you said about wisdom is like, at being able to admit that like, we don't know, you know what I mean? Or however <laughs> yeah. you said it, like uh-huh. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, I perfect. really, I really do feel like that's so true. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like my husband always says that, like he went to seminary and he says when he graduated, he didn't feel like, wow, I have this full comprehensive understanding <laughs> of all of theology. He's like, I graduated feeling like I understood now how much I didn't understand. Exactly. You know what I mean? And it's like, but that's humbling and that's mature and that is wise to be able to be like, yeah, we don't know everything. Well, and you like, know? I, like now that I have a son who's 13 and I mean, yeah. thinking back to kids and like people in the, the early adult years, like you think you have it all figured out. And I'm like, that's like the definition of being foolish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So really it's like, as we're getting wiser, we're just admitting how much we don't know. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, I, I know that it, well, I don't know, but I'm assuming it's hard for you when someone like me is like, will you come on and share your story? Cause you're reliving the whole thing. Um, and so a, thank you for oh, making that sacrifice to share, but I would love to hear you kind of touched on it. Why do you think that it is so important that you share your story? Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I tried to be open with sharing from the beginning. Um, mostly, I mean, I guess I kind of told God, I am willing to share this story, but I don't want to be like blasting it. Like as soon as I meet someone, like, guess what happened to me? Yeah, yeah, All yeah. this, like, I was like, if God brings it to me, I want to share it. Um, mm-hmm. And so he's definitely brought times for that to happen. 
Um, so whether that's just one-on-one or in small groups. And so from the beginning, I just was open to talk to people about it. Mm -hmm. And I just found, um, a lot of, I guess there was a women's retreat I went to two months or something after. And Mm -hmm. one of the whole key verses was, you know, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Mm -hmm. And just really was impactful in me feeling like, one way that I can overcome this is by sharing my testimony because mm-hmm. Jesus has already died and shed the blood. And then we can overcome Satan by sharing what he's done for us. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I tried to do that whenever I could. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage other women to do that too. And I do think it's interesting how every time you share it, it, it takes the element of fear that if you keep quiet, It's Mm -hmm. like this hold that it kind of has over you. And every time you share, it's just continuing to break down those barriers and the fear that it could have over you. Um, So I'm always telling women to share their story, even if it's one-on-one with someone or Mm -hmm. uh, just whatever, Um, try to get it out there. And there is plenty, I didn't know it at the time, but there is resources available for women to get help from reputable and safe places. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's called RAIN, R-A-I-N or double mm-hmm. N. Um, but it's a like support line for women mm-hmm. who have been abused. And so there is opportunity for that. And I know for a fact that, uh, you know, I have one friend that definitely used that and has found great healing through the resources that they gave her. So, mm-hmm. um, just because it's not a personal connection that you might have doesn't mean it's not still a good outlet and it will get you to the right place. Um, so sharing has been important. Sometimes I've cried, sometimes I'm jovial and, you know, not jovial necessarily, but like sometimes it doesn't make me emotional at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like honestly being able to share it even like seven years out, Mm-hmm. It's a good reminder of God's faithfulness and just, you know, giving me the chance to be thankful mm-hmm. when on my normal day-to-day basis now, I'm not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have to get in the mindset, like I've, I have been on some other podcasts. So mm-hmm. before I am on a podcast, I'll go back and listen to my other one just yeah. to give me in that, the mindset of like, okay, where, where have I been? What is my story? Yeah. And getting ready to, to open up to Mm -hmm. this part that I normally don't even think about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so thankful for you sharing your story. You know, I haven't been through anything like that, but Mm -hmm. your story impacts me, you know, your faith, your ability to forgive. It's incredible. It really, really is. And it impacts me. And I know it's going to impact everybody who hears us. So I cannot thank you enough for sharing with us. Um, so your life in the last seven years, you've moved around a lot. You added two kids. Mm -hmm. Are you done? Yes. Six is enough. Six came out and I said, go to the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done having babies. And we're good. Yeah. At least out of this body. I don't know. We've talked about adopting, but that's a long road. So then you need a bigger RV. (laughs) (laughs) we're done in the RV for now, maybe someday, but you're right. Um, so yeah, I'm just so thankful for, for where we've landed and, Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, for the chance to continue to share it. And I actually was a part of another ministry called Nothing is Wasted. And mm-hmm. they have a phenomenal ministry, um, kind of like we were mentioning how mm-hmm. we find such camaraderie talking to other people who have been through similar journeys. Mm-hmm. They actually have a great network of people that have been through different things. Mm-hmm. And it's all at one place so that you can find other people who have gone through those things and try to um, share your stories. Like, I mean, everything we've been talking about and they yeah. just have a great resource for that. So nothingiswasted.com. I love and, it. Um, that's led by Davey Blackburn. He has a phenomenal story of his own. Yes. Um, but I've been a part of their ministry for the last couple of years. I actually just backed out of that because I want to focus more on getting to know the women in my church. Yeah. Um, but they have, you know, I've, I had been leading a group of women uh, who have been sexually abused or raped. Mm. And um, so getting the chance, like I was saying, like to hear other women's stories, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. heartbreaking hearing some of the things that women have endured. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I just am hopeful and prayerful that even as time goes on, that God's still going to give me opportunities to be a part of other women's lives. And I don't want to waste what had happened, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. And just for the listeners, just so you know, um, nothing is wasted. The ministry Rachel was just talking about, um, Davey Blackburn is actually scheduled to come on the podcast in mid-December. Uh, so you'll be hearing awesome. from him as well. So mm-hmm. in the Don't show notes, it. I'll make sure to link your website. Um, I'll link information about EMDR, Rain. nothing is wasted. Can I put your email address in the show notes in case yeah, someone wanted to reach fine. out to you? Okay. And we do it. Like you said, we have a website. Um, but not much is happening with it. So don't expect to like see anything current. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband is quite a dreamer and entrepreneur. So when I started doing some podcast interviews, he's like, we need a website. You're yeah. going to need to be a speaker. And so he does he a good job. It's this. a really nice website. It looks great, but it's just kind of sitting there. So uh, well, <laughs> don't expect much. You never know. People can stumble upon it and it could change someone's they life. Might. It looks beautiful. It's, he did a really good job. Yeah, but feel free to reach out for sure. I love it. Thank you so much. So wait, we have to end. We always end by asking our uh, guests, what's your favorite snack right now? <laughs> oh, if I, I probably don't even know the names of the things I eat, you know, mom on the go, Oh yeah, whatever I can find. Um, oh, I've been enjoying like random protein bars. We have a really cheap, like bent and dent store close yes. to us. And so you can get eight protein bars for a dollar. <laughs> oh my God. Like, That's amazing. It's really amazing. And so, you know, what used to be like, oh, $2 for a bar, like Lit- save truly. It for a whole meal. Now Absolutely. I'm like, oh, it's a protein bar. I can just have a snack. So eight for a dollar. That's like amazing. <laughs> Do they really ship? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Might That's be a long amazing. drive for you. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I love that. Well, Rachel, thank you so much. I mean it. I cannot thank you enough. You're a busy mom. You're working. You have so much going on. (laughs) This story is incredible. I thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions.